Welcome to Kids Corner. I'm Jonathan Kidd from State Champs. Also with me from State Champs is Jeff Dulac. We're going to recap the baseball, softball, and girls soccer state championships from this past weekend. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm all right. Uh, busy part of the year is finally over. Going to kick back and relax a little bit, little bit this summer, and uh, football's right around the corner. Yep. All right, we're starting baseball. Celine has finally done it in <laughs> Division One. The sixth time was the charm. You know, you were there on Saturday. Your thoughts on the state championship for Celine? You know, I just, I just look at at from a from a big picture. It's about time for Celine. It's been a baseball community community for quite a long time. You have uh, Scott Tyson, the head coach there. He's been there for I believe twenty five years, and he finally got that elusive title. You just can't feel better for a really good guy and a really good coach. But how I looked at this weekend coming in, if Celine didn't win the title this this weekend, when would they? It was you know five times in ten years you know always the bridesmaid never the bride, the Hornets finally got it done they finally you know got over that mountaintop and this was the team to do it this is a very talented team with several Division One players a couple Division Two players this Celine team was a real deal and they finally got it done. Do you think that the pressure was off them after the semi against Liggett? I, I think the the semifinal game against Liggett was a matter of I don't think the pressure was off of them, but for how well they played against a perennial power, I don't care that Liggett has only won Division Four and Division Three. Liggett is a perennial power, and for them to play as well as they did against Liggett's ace, that gave them a lot of confidence going into the final, and they played with a lot of confidence too. And what's your thoughts on Northfield going forward? Do you think you think they're going to have a nice little run here, or was this like their best team? This this was a very good Northfield team, and, and to be honest, for as long as it's been since Northfield had won a regional, that was just shocking to me. I didn't know that going in. It had been al- almost 40 years without a regional title. That, to me, is insane. This is always a, a very good baseball program. I wouldn't go put them on the same platform as Celine. They're not quite a, a perennial power, but it's always a really good baseball team. They're well coached year after year, and this is a team that you know. It was about time they finally got got their own, got to Lansing, and really got that experience. In Division Two, uh, the game between Stevensville, Lakeshore, and Bay City, John Glenn. I blinked for a second, <laughs> and then all of a sudden the game was over. It was only one nothing. Lakeshore only had two hits <laughs> right, in two the hits. game. Obviously, it was a pitcher's duel, and it was the first time in 27 years that Lakeshore has won a state title. Right, and you, you look at that That game lasted an hour and 15 minutes, which is just incredible. Max Gation, the starter for Lakeshore, he had played in the boys' basketball division two state champion, or class B, I should say, state championship game a year ago for Stevensville Lakeshore. On, on Saturday, he pitched an absolute gem. He allowed just six hits, struck out five and seven innings of work. And the really cool thing about his outing was he was facing his last batter regardless because of the new MHSA pitch count. He went into that last batter right around 100 pitches. He got he he got out of it with 103 pitches, with the pitch count pitch count limit being 105. That was his last batter, and for how well he pitched, it's good that he got it done at that point. Because you also look at uh, I, I I don't know the pronunciation, but I believe it's Alex Dingy, the the pitcher for Bay City John Glenn. He pitched an incredible game. He allowed two hits, which was a triple that eventually came around to score on a sacrifice fly. He had uh, just two strikeouts, but he had he threw 56 pitches in six innings. Think about that for a second. <laughs> that's that's just it just shows you how effective he was and you know credit to Gation and the, and Lakeshore they you know Gation said we got the two hits that we needed and and that was enough. In Division 3, Madison Heights Bishop Foley won its first state titles since 2013. Mm-hmm. 
those times a few years ago, we always thought <laughs> they can compete in Division One. Right. You know, finally, you know, in the last few years, you know, they always got the hiccup against Liggett. Yep. Justin Campbell, you know, in his final game, pitches a gem. He's an absolute stud, and he said in that state final where he allowed, uh, I believe he allowed just six hits, and, I, and he had eight strikeouts. He said he didn't have his best stuff. He struggled through the first inning and really battled back and buckled down, but he was very impressive. He's going to Tulane. He's a really, really good player. But the cool story from from that Bishop Foley game was, obviously, we know Buster Sunday and, and just how well he's coached with that program, and he took that program to new heights in, in just almost an instant. But uh, I guess you you would call Greg Fettis uh, a protege of Buster Sunday, and, and Fettis did a great job managing that team. You know, you know they finished with a twenty five and twelve record, but that's a very tough schedule they play. They play a Division One schedule in the regular season. There's no doubt about it. Coach Fettis came in just a second year. He's just fresh off of playing college baseball at Kentucky. He, he's a young guy. He played for Buster Sunday. Buster Sunday also uh, runs a, a program called the South Oakland Days. Fettis played at. Um, Lampier. Mass Nice Lampier, thank you. And, and, you know, spent his high school time, went to college, and, and right off the bat he's he's a young guy coaching a perennial baseball power in Division Three. Coach Buster Sunday was the manager when they won, was it three? Yeah, they won their three, Pete, 2011, 2012, and 2013. That te- Those teams were great. And then, of course, he left a team to watch his son mm-hmm. play at Western Michigan. Yep. And he's been helping out this time around, mm-hmm. you know, as like an assistant coach or assistant or helper. Right. Do you feel like his impact helped Fettis and, and that team? Oh, see, there's, there's no doubt in my mind because I even asked – Coach Fettis this after the game, and, and he said he said everything. He pretty much said that everything Buster Sunday touches turns to gold. You know, he's he said he's he's that type of an influential coach where he doesn't need to be hands on to make a difference. And and Fettis even acknowledged that the help that Buster provided for him, being you know, if I had to guess, I don't know this for sure, but Greg Fettis is probably 24, 25 years old. That's that's a young coach to have in in, in such a, a a proud program. And Fettis came in. And he said that Sunday, you know, told him not to get too high, not to get too low, just to stay even keel. Because when you're a young coach and, and your team sees you either get too high or get too low, they're going to follow suit. And, and that's a, a really important uh, piece of advice that Buster gave to Coach Fettis. And lastly, in Division Four for baseball, Portland St. Patrick won its first ever baseball state championship. Last year they were in it. They lost Parkway Christian. So your thoughts on them winning because you were there at the end of that game against Hudson? You know, you, you look at last year's team for Portland St. Patrick's was supposed to was supposed to be there. This was a team that was regarded as a favorite from the start of the year that was a very experienced team, a lot of returners. But this year was a very, very young team. The The starting pitcher, uh, Devin Fedowa, I believe, was just a freshman for Portland St. Pat. Just, just to show you just how much inexperience and youth they had in this team. Coach Brian Schurer said that, you know, this is a this is a team that, you know, he, he he himself said, "Hey, let's win twenty games. Let's compete for a league title. Let's compete for a district title, but not much more." You know, he, they finished the season thirty-four three and one record. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's not a record that you 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 get from a team that's full of freshmen and sophomores. Watching that team, they looked experienced from the start. They got three runs in the first th- uh, run in the second to take a four nothing lead. You would have thought that all these this was a senior laden team that just was unfazed by the the big stage. You know, they, I was really impressed with Portland State Pat. And for the listeners who didn't get the chance to watch the state finals or watch the highlights on state champs, mm-hmm. what was that experience like after that game when the weather came in? I mean, that, that weather came in fast. It was almost like, you know, obviously with us being media members, you know, we're, we're hoping that 
the rain holds off so we can get our stories in and get out of there. But, I mean, it, it was a matter of minutes from the, the the final pitch of that game to the raindrops coming in. It came down. It was a, it was a downpour for, for a couple hours after the game ended. You know, and you could tell, you know, you, you had MHSA officials running across the field trying to get people inside. They went to Jenison Fieldhouse to do the trophy presentations. That was a very odd moment. You know, I've, I've, been, to East, or I've been to East Lansing or Battle Creek for the finals seven or eight times now. Never seen anything close to that. And, you know, we... You know, it's a three-day week, and we're used to seeing some kind of rain, some kind of weather. All of it held off, which it wasn't supposed to. All of it held off, but once that final out came for baseball and softball, you know, the, the rain started coming. And with your conversations with Jeff Kimberly at the MHSA, mm-hmm. he's been t- saying in the Lansing area, yeah, it's been breaking off once it gets to Lansing, so they've been locking out on the weather. You know, we were w- looking at the radar Thursday, Friday, yeah. and Saturday, and there was always... 50% chance of storms at this hour, 80%, yeah. 90%, and then we check again. And, uh, we watch online or we were at the game and there was no rain at all. Yeah. Luckily, it, rained, it doesn't matter now. It, rained, it can rain <laughs> right. after the state finals. Right. It was funny because I, I had talked to Jeff about that because it looked like it was going to rain on Thursday. At, in, at When I was covering the softball semifinals, I looked at Jeff and I was like, I'm kind of concerned about the rain. And he, go, and he told me, he's like, for about the last month, the, the rain's gotten close to Lansing, then broken up, and then I, you know, but I was convinced that it was going to rain. I go back to my computer, bring up the radar, and, and it had already broken up. It was, so Lans- Lansing uh, got some luck this this week. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to recap the softball state championship. So stay with us. Get ready. The high school football season will be here before you know it. The Detroit Sports Commission's Prep Kickoff Classic returns to Midtown Detroit on the campus of Wayne State University August 24th through the 26th. Michigan's premier season-opening prep football event, now in its 13th year, will welcome seven games in three days and feature the state's top teams and players. Log on to DetroitSports.org for more information. The Prep Kickoff Classic. you got to be there. Welcome back to Kids Corner here on the State Champs Podcast. I'm Jonathan Kidd. I'm here with Jeff Dulac. Now we're going to talk about the softball state championships. And actually, we're going to start in Division Three: Monroe, St. Mary, Catholic Central. They win it again, third state title in a row. Our total softball player of the year, Megan Bovian, mm-hmm. another state championship. She won our award. She's going to Michigan. Before we get into the final, just talk about her career. I mean, obviously I haven't been around as, as long as you have in covering softball players, but she's the best softball player I've ever seen. She is as dominant as it gets. I mean, I get that she plays in Division Three. They still play a tough schedule. She had uh, close to 350 strikeouts for the season in, in, if I had to guess, you know, 160 innings and 10 walks or something something insane like that. She was as effective as any pitcher in, in the game of softball over the last three years. You know, you, you look at our, our softball player of the year's the previous two years, he had Alex Sobzak and Abby Krizwicki from Barmington Hills Mercy. If it wasn't for the fact those players had as, as good seasons as they did, it wouldn't be outlandish to think that Megan Bobian could be a, a, a three-time total mm-hmm. softball player of the year. That's just how good and dominant she has been throughout her entire career. She's, she's been incredible. You know, my 15 years of covering high school sports on state champs, she's up there with Nikki Nemitz yep. as one of the top to, pitchers I've ever be. seen, you know, covering softball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, she, she went into the semifinals with a .34 ERA. That's 
illogical for for somebody to have that good of stats. And she dominated from start to finish. She's had the pressure on her for two years now. They won a state title when she was a sophomore. Not a whole lot of people knew who she was. People were gunning for them for the last two years, and she didn't blink an eye. She she was incredible. And how do you think she's going to do at Michigan? She's going to start right away because Betts is gone. So I think she's going to be jumping in right away. Right. You, you look at what she's going to get when she comes to Michigan, I think with any freshman there's going to be a little bit of a bump in the road. But there's no doubt in my mind in her four years at Michigan, she will be you know the, the perennial powerhouse pitcher that Michigan has when they make their runs. I'd be very surprised if Michigan doesn't make a, a run in the College World Series with Megan Bobian in the circle. It, it would be shocking to me. Besides Bovian, that was a pretty good St. Mary Catholic Central team. If you just took Absolutely. her, if you took her off mm-hmm. the team, they probably would have won the state title this year. I mean, it's it's very possible they could have. You, you never know what they're, what you're going to have in the circle. I don't know what St. Mary CC had behind Bobian in the circle, but you look at somebody like uh, their catcher Kenna Garst. She's a very good player. Samantha Michael in right field. She's just a freshman. She made an incredible catch to help St. Mary Catholic Central make it to the final on. Friday, I believe. This is a very talented team. You have to give a lot of credit to a lot of these players on this team because you look at, at what St. Mary CC was this year. It was the Megan Bobian show when, because of just how dominant she was. But this team had a lot of standout players and a lot of players that do deserve a lot of credit. You know, this this is a team, I mean, you just go down the line, you know, Kelsey Barron in the state championship game had two RBI. That That's big for them. You had Danielle Michael. She had two RBI, two, two for five and two RBIs. Grace Mikesell, she she had two RBIs and two hits. This is a very deep team. You have to give credit to the chemistry that this team had because a lot, some teams might get upset that somebody gets the amount of attention that somebody does like Bobian. But that team stayed together, and it, it, it speaks to both the character of this team and the character of Megan Bobian, that they stayed close-knit the whole way through, and they just they dominated everybody, really, aside from Shepard in the, in the semifinal. Yeah, you kind of stole some of my thunder. I was about to ask you about that, how... Mm-hmm. I was at the presentation for the softball player of the year, and mm-hmm. they all embraced her. Yeah. You know, I've seen teams in the past who have a superstar player. They get jealous. They, you know, mm-hmm. they're, you know, or I see like they're happy. Can't wait for that p- player to be gone. They really embrace Megan Bovian. Absolutely. And that, that I think when you, you look at, I think you need that. When you're a program that's been as successful as the Kestrels have been over the last three years, that is needed because we, we see it in everyday sports. Teammates can, can get a little bit tired of one another. This team was close-knit the whole way through, whether it's as in, in, in 2015, 2016, or 2017. It was close-knit, and, and they, they had one goal in mind, and nothing was going to stop this team from getting to their goal. They rely on one another, and, and going back to the semifinal real quick, St. Mary CC only won one nothing. Bobian hit a batter to start the, inning, the seventh inning, and immediately great defense and, and great leadership from Bobian and the rest of the seniors. They put Shepard put the winning run on third, and they, they sat him down and you know got out of it and advanced. You know that that's that that shows a lot of character and a lot of toughness from a team like that. We'll go to Division Four, Indian River Inland Lakes. Mm-hmm. Jeff, before we get <laughs> on the game, where is that located? Uh, compared to where we are, the best I can tell you is up north. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's way up there. This is a you know one of those teams, and you could tell it's it's another. When we when we see teams from the way up north compared to where we are in southeast Michigan, you know you see those tight, close tight knit communities mm-hmm. that really rally around around a specific team, and this was one of them. And, and to talk about the game real quick, 
the best player you may have never heard of that was playing in the softball finals was Chloe Mallory. She's committed to Central Michigan. She's a pitcher for in, Inland Lakes. She allowed one hit in, in the state championship game against uh, Ottawa Lake Whiteford. You know that that just shows you how good she is. You know she had five strikeouts and she had an equally impressive performance in the semifinals. This Inland Lakes team, you know, myself included, we didn't. I don't. I didn't know, really know a whole lot about Inland Lakes, but you know they they made a statement in their time in East Lansing. When we I posted the video of their highlights, mm-hmm. I'm thinking like they don't have Twitter, they don't <laughs> have you. You saw on there, they have a really good social media following. Yeah, you know, it, it, and I think we see that a lot. You know, we see it in football with, with teams like Menominee or Ishpeming or, you know, Nagani. A lot of these close-knit communities in the, in the UP, and even, even when you get just the, just the further north you get, those tight-knit communities, they rally around their teams, and they love everything that they can get their hands on when it comes to their teams, whether it's stories, whether it's videos, whether it's, Trophy shots, whether it's pictures, everything. They, they love everything and take it in because when you look at it, outside of their high school teams, what is the closest team around? You know, you have Northern Michigan and Michigan Tech, you know, and not a whole lot else. So if they're, they're, if they're into sports and they're looking for their, you know, their fix on sports, they, they rely on these high school teams up there a, a great deal. Did you ask, like, during the season, do they don't play till like, May? Or how, how does their season <laughs> go when the weather, the snow doesn't melt until late April, May, that's or a, probably now? That, that's not a question I asked, but that's a really good question because, you know, they, they still played 40 games this year. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's a good number of games. And, and for a team that, you know, like you said, you know, they, they have to endure some, some really bad weather, 40 games is a lot. All right, let's go to Division Two. And one of the most exciting softball state championships over the weekend was the Ida versus Richmond game. Mm-hmm. Richmond, the defending state champs, was up 3 nothing going in the seventh. Yep. Ida made a comeback like no other, tying it up, including a – was that ruled an inside-the-park homer or uh, what was it? I believe it was officially ruled a, a double, and then she came around on a two-base error. Okay. But but that ended up tying the game and forcing extra innings. Uh, Brooklyn Wolmer, you know, hit a hit – a, Solid hit to to right field. It was misplayed by the right fielder, and she just kept running the the whole <laughs> way home and and tied the game in one of the more surprising conclusions to to regulation you'll ever see at the high school level. And it ended up being eight to four. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, usually we see like okay, I saw on Twitter the updates from you like mm-hmm. it was going the extra inning, so I'm thinking all right, it's going to end up being four to three. Yep. I was shocked to see eight to four. Mm-hmm. You know, Ida really had the bats going in the ninth inning. Yeah. score four, and then Richmond also got another run. Yeah, well, it, it had to have been very deflating in the eighth for Ida, who who picked up right where they left off. They get one more run, and Richmond responds. And, and credit to Ida for for not kind of hanging their heads or being let down because they came right back in the in the ninth inning and really you know handed it to Richmond, made sure that 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 four run deficit wasn't something that they could they could give up. Um, to be honest. I don't think anybody saw Ida winning a state title this year. Credit to Ida. This is a program that, you know, it's it's been a long time since they last won a title. It's been 25 years. Yeah. So a couple, you know, I was I was two years old. So there's yeah. that. Look at what they were able to co- accomplish. You know, being down three runs going into the seventh inning against the defending state champs against a pitcher that threw a no hitter in the state final last year is not an easy task. They didn't lay down, and that you know, all their credit to Ida to to make it through. And one other thing. Richmond's going to be back next year. Uh, there's my there's my bold prediction. I'm going to throw out there right now. Richmond will be back in, the, in East Lansing a year from now with Aaron Shoeboy, the the starting pitcher, 
and, and I know I'm going to mess this name up, but Carly Baraktovich. I'm sorry, Carly, I'm sure. But, you know, those are two-star players, and this is a team that has several other returners that are coming back, and this is a team that that will be back in Lansing, and, and it's not outlandish to think that they'll win two out of three titles in two out of three years. And lastly, in Division One, Macomb, mm-hmm. Dakota, you know, they were in the state finals last year. They You know, we thought it was going to be a classic game against Farmington Hills Mercy, mm-hmm. and they kind of got blown out there. Yep. They got back yeah. to the finals under Kendall Dunford and the rest mm-hmm. of that squad, and they went up against a tough Granville team who a lot of people thought that was a surprise run too. It really was. You know, I wrote about this after the, the Division One semifinal. Granville's starting pitcher, Ellie Muhlenberg, tore her ACL in a powder puff football game last fall and underwent surgery in November. And she was back midseason pitching Granville to East Lansing and into a state championship game. That was a great story. When you when you hear knee, knee injuries like that, that that ends your your season. That ends your year, really. You know, an ACL injury is one that keeps you out for about a year. She was back in you know six seven months and competing and competing really well. If it wasn't going to be this year for Dakota, when was it going to be? This is the best team they've ever had. This is the best pitcher they've ever had. All signs pointed to to Dakota finally getting it done. You know, having never won a state title. Kendall Dunford is an incredible pitcher. She was in our Final Four for the Total Softball Player of the Year, and she delivered as well on Saturday in the Division One Final. She struck out eleven, did allow six hits and three runs. But Gran, you know, Granville's a very good team, so. You know, Dunford really, really delivered and, and kind of put put that mark on her career and her legacy. This game also went extra innings with Dakota winning four to three. I felt bad that the game winning run had to be a, a wild pitch. Yeah, that's that's really tough. Um, but you know, credit to Dakota for being ready for that. You know, those are one of those things where if it's it's a you know single to right field and that run scores, you feel a little bit better, especially if you're Granville. But for Granville, it really has to feel like an opportunity missed because a pass ball. Is, is the difference between potentially you playing in the ninth inning you know, for a state championship and going home empty-handed. And I know you had a bold prediction on Division Two. Do you think in Division One, Clarkson's going to be the favorite next year? It, it's really tough. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I was, I was thinking about it before we did this podcast. You look at Clarkson and what they were able to do. This is a team that, again, I think a lot of people expected them to be good, but maybe not this good this early. This is a very young team. You look at uh, this this Clarkson team. Olivia Warrington, I believe, is a sophomore. If if not, she's a junior. And, and in the semifinal against Granville, she allowed four hits. You know, the, and, and this is a Clarkson team that has a lot of young players, a lot of inexperience. And I, I really believe that this Clarkson team is going to learn from a, a narrow two one loss and and really respond. And you know, Warrington had given up zero earned runs in this loss. This is a team that's going to learn from this loss and and really battle back, and I, th- I think we'll see them again, if not this year, this coming year, in 2018, then in 2019, because there's a lot of freshmen and sophomores on this team. All right, we're going to take one more break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the Girls Soccer State Championship here on Kids Corner. Sports give so many opportunities to kids. It gives them an opportunity to see where they fit within a team, persevere, understanding how to work with different personalities. Those are the lessons that will make you a successful adult. As a mom, you have to have an understanding of what concussions are. Concussions are things that are treatable. If you take care of athletes, they will be able to develop and have a long, happy, healthy life.
Welcome back to Kids Corner. I'm Jonathan Kidd, along with Jeff Dulek here from State Champs. All right, we're going to talk about the girls' soccer state championships quick. Birmingham Marion, Division Two, first state title since 2012. Congratulations to Barry Brosky. It's their sixth since 2003. And this is one of his probably one of his best teams that he's ever had. Oh, no question. And it's it's funny you said, you know, if if it wasn't for the fact that you said their last title was 2012, uh, I would have guessed maybe, you know, 2010. You know, earlier. It seems like it's been too long since Marion's been on top um, in Division Two. Barry Brodsky's been a, a great coach over the last you know 15 years or so. You know, for that Marion team. And this was just kind of a culmination of a couple of close calls in 2013 and 2014, and and you know that didn't quite make it to the final in 2015, 2016. It felt like this was the 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 time for Marion to get back on top. You know, this was this was a good Marion team, and, and you know they they proved it the whole way through. They they really dominated through a lot of their schedule. And this might be their last hurrah of like one of the great teams because we're hearing about. Girls soccer in these academies, and yeah. you know, the best soccer players are going to go, not going to be playing high school. Yeah, and, and Marion's been a team that's kind of fallen victim to that. Uh, they had one of the top players in the state a few years ago, Kelly Sweeney, and, and these rules started coming out. And I believe she, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe she left Marion to to go and be on these teams, and that might have led to Marion falling short a couple of years mm-hmm. in, in the state final. She was a, a fantastic player, but these new um, United States national soccer team rules are you either play in high school or you play in in your your club team or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. And a lot of these these players are unfortunately made, forced to pick make this hard decision to either play in high school or play in, in with their club teams. And I don't necessarily buy into it. I'm not as involved in soccer as I am in, in other sports, but a lot of these coaches and a lot of these clubs will will try and convince kids that. You know, you you can't get recruited as well in high school as you can play in club. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily believe that because we still see recruiting happen in every sport. You know, we have AAU in basketball, and I guess I get that AAU is important, but I'm not going to tell tell you that AAU is more important than the high school season. Mm-hmm. You know, you may get you may catch the eye of a scout or a coach or what have you during you know the the AAU or club team season. But when it comes down to, it, I think these colleges still value what you do on the on the field during your high school season. And the same way with hockey too, you know, right? Yeah, the, the junior hockey, high school hockey debate that that can go yep. on forever until the rules change. Yeah, and then and you you have the same thing with with football, and everybody's really putting a value on these seven on sevens and camp seasons. And you, you I, I think people are trying way too hard, and I guess having way too much success on taking. You know the decisions, and, and and I guess they're taking value out of what these kids do on the field, in actual games and competitions at the high school level, playing amongst their peers. That's just my take. I know it might not be a popular take with a lot of people out there, but that's just how I feel. And just to wrap it up quick, uh, congratulations to Grand Rapids Forest Hill Central. Yep. Their first state title in nine years. They won in Division One. A shutout over Grand Blank. Yep. And, and Forest Hill Central was our number one team coming in, uh, and credit credit to Forest Hill Central they they you know they really had a dominant dominant season 21-0-4 was their record they used two second half goals to win it this was a team that you know just had it all going they had a very talented team and they they got it done and in Division 3 we had Flint Powers with a 4-0 shutout over Freeland 
that team is going to be good for a few years. Right. I saw on the roster there was a lot of freshmen, there was mm-hmm. a lot of sophomores on that team. They're going to make a nice run for a while. Yeah, well, when you know, obviously I was at the baseball and softball finals, so I didn't have a chance to be in Williamston for the soccer finals. But I believe a freshman scored at least two goals for for Flint Powers. Yeah, Kennedy Myers. Yeah, on a stage that big, you know, watching the highlights on state champs. Shameless plug right there. <laughs> Bob, I woke up and watched it and watched the main event highlights. For a freshman to perform that well, and you know, those weren't goals where oh, just right place, right time. Those were those were very skilled plays that she made to to put the ball in the back of the net, and it just tells you the, the future is still very very bright for for Flint Powers Catholic. Mm-hmm. And lastly, in Division Four, Lansing Christian, congratulations. Uh, guys won in a shootout mm-hmm. against Kalamazoo Christian, so your first ever state title. Congratulations to the Pilgrim. You look at the Pilgrims, and this is just a team that's that's come close enough, I guess I would say, enough times. So this is a team that, that usually makes a, a, at least a very decent run to the finals. I believe they were in the finals in 2015, and, and they finally just kind of were, were put over the top. You know, that's, I guess that's just my take on it. And, you know, for some of these small – it's nice to see some of these small programs emerge and win because a lot of the times we see some of these small other small programs that just dominate for, for decades at a time in the sport. That's it for the spring. Yep. That's it for the 2016-17 school year. Mm-hmm. State champs will be back in August, but we'll be having podcasts throughout the summer previewing the upcoming football season. Yeah, so We'll be here all throughout the summer. Thanks again for listening to this edition of Kids Corner.